If you will, turn with me uh, one more time to chapter 16 in the Gospel according to John. Chapter 16 in the Gospel according to John. And we are going to read this morning and, and conclude this chapter by covering verses 25 through 33. 25 through 33. Word of God says, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language. But I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father, and have come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure, to, figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let us pray for the blessing of God's word. Lord, we do come to this, this passage this morning. In need of being reminded. Of the glorious work of our Savior Jesus Christ. That He came, God of God, true God of true God, who took on flesh for the purpose of redeeming sinners such as us. And though at times we may be scattered like the apostles, and though our ta- at time we will face that hour of agony, that our faith will come under assault by various things in this world and even the kingdom of darkness itself, what we be, are being assured this morning of is that because Jesus Christ has overcome the world, And because we are made one with Him by the indwelling presence of God the Spirit, so too have we overcome the world. So Lord, as we come to this blessed section of Scripture, press this truth into our minds this morning. Press it into our hearts and let our faith grab hold of it, that we may be assured this morning. that whom we worship is the resurrected and victorious Lamb of God. And because we are one with Him, we too have overcome. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. And so yes, we come this morning in our study through the Gospel according to John, like I said, to conclude both chapter 16 and this farewell discourse of Jesus' to his disciples 
uh, by covering verses 25 through 33. Now, as we have covered extensively throughout these past couple of months, this farewell discourse, which reaches back to chapter 13, when Jesus announced not only his departure from the world by his death and resurrection, nor just Judas's betrayal of him, but this discourse also includes Jesus' foretelling of the disciples' forsaking of him. And it is within this context that the disciples find themselves in their faith being challenged. Specifically, they feared that if Jesus were to depart from this world, that both their faith and faithfulness to him would be overcome. However, what our Lord has been both preparing and instructing the disciples and us for is how to live our lives on this side of glory, not with Christ, that is, not with him being bodily present, but in Christ, that being by his indwelling of us believers through God the Spirit. Or as Jesus said back in chapter 14, if anyone loves me, he will, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Therefore, simply put, what we have learned throughout this discourse is the importance of why Jesus had to go to the Father in his resurrected victory. For in paradoxal fashion, his ascension into glory does not equate to his absence to us believers, but his going is the magnification of his presence in us. And it is because Christ is in us, or because we are made one with him by the indwelling of God the Spirit, that we can have the assurance that our enemies, even the kingdom of darkness itself, cannot overcome us or our faith, no matter how battered we become. For as John most blessedly declares elsewhere, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, the world. Why so? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So then in coming to the end of this, this most blessed and encouraging discourse, our Lord this morning takes a step back by giving an epilogue or a summary conclusion of everything he has said to his disciples. And the grand point which we are meant to take away from this morning is that despite being promised that we will encounter tribulations and afflictions in this life because of Christ, we are to find peace in our Lord's victory over the world. For what we must realize and cling to as believers is that because we have been made one with Christ, his victory has been made our victory. And because no one can overcome him, neither can anyone overcome us in our faith. And so with this context in mind, as we begin to dig in our passage for this morning, Jesus starts off his encouraging summary of his previous discourse by saying to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language. These things he has previously said. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. Now, again, the figurative things to which Jesus is referring to is such teachings as chapter 15 and the branches and the vine and 
For there we learn that our existence as believers who are in Christ is like a branch which receives all of its life-producing fruits from the vine, Jesus. Then last week, the Christian life was compared to that of a woman in labor. For just like with the coming of a child, the mother's afflictions are swallowed up in joy, so too will our momentary afflictions be swallowed up in the eternal joy that we will possess when we will forever be before the throne of the Lamb. However, what Jesus is telling the disciples is that there will be a new time of instruction, this time specifically being the new order of Christian existence lived under the ministerial office of the paraclete, or the Holy Spirit. For Jesus, through the ministry of God the Spirit, will, as he said in verses 13 through 14, guide the disciples into all truth by taking what is his, that being Jesus' words, and declaring it to them. But of most importance, this teaching of Jesus's through the indwelling presence of the Spirit extends past the disciples and to us believers even today. For when Jeremiah said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. And the same Apostle John says elsewhere, The anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, What these words are getting to is that the Spirit does not give us new revelation like with the disciples, but it is through their words, the revealed words of Scripture, that the Spirit grants to us the ability to ascend past our feeble limitations and grasp the divine truths by the gift of faith. Or said another way, The only way by which fallen sinners such as us can come to grasp certain truths, such as the gospel, the Trinity, and the Incarnation, these being what Jesus calls in chapter 3, heavenly things. The only way we can obtain knowledge of such things is by the supernatural gift of faith which God the Spirit gives to us in our regeneration. Therefore, what Jesus is communicating to both us and the disciples here is that because he goes to the Father and sends the Spirit to abide in us, we are assured that even the weakest of us can come to know of heavenly truths. Specifically, the Spirit lifts us up in order to know who God is in himself and what he has done for us through his Son by the gift of faith. Thus, simply why the meek and humble can receive the kingdom of God is because of what Christ does for them by granting the gift of faith through the abiding presence of God the Spirit. But what the ministry or the abiding presence of God the Spirit also does for us is, as Jesus says in verse 26, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you, Uh, say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. Now, these at first awkward, awkward words of our Lord's are meant to be a reference back to last week when he said, 
and in that day, the day of the Spirit's ministry on earth, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have not asked in my name. Ask and you will receive that your, that your joy may be full. Now, what we saw with these words was this promise was not that Jesus will cease to be our mediator when he ascends into glory. Quite the opposite. That's not what Jesus means here when he says, I say to you that I, um, I do not say to you that I shall pray for the Father. He does not mean he's ceasing his ministry of, of mediatorial office. But what our Lord is communicating to us is that when we pray, we do not pray to him as some earthly mediator, like when the worshipers of old would have to go to God through the nation's high priest. But when we pray to Christ, we pray directly to him as God. Or said another way, those who were in the old covenant were restricted from entering into the Holy of Holies. For the only the high priest had that blessed benefit once a year. However, for those who are in Christ, it is when we go to prayer that we have the blessed benefit of having direct access, not into some earthly holy of holies, but into heaven's holy of holies, where in our prayers, in our petitions, in our concerns, are directly heard by our God. And beloved, it is here when we are before the throne of grace and our prayers are being lifted to the Father, that we in turn, as Jesus said last week, have our joy filled. For it is through such things as prayer and the other means of grace, the preaching of the word, the sacraments, that our God gives himself to us and our communion with him is strengthened. But we must abruptly ask, why? Why have such blessed gifts and benefits given to sinners been given to sinners such as us? Well, Jesus proceeds to answer this when he says, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Thus simply, it is the Father's love which has made our access to him possible. For it was in love that Paul says in Ephesians that the Father chose us in him, his Son, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, the Father. Thus, with this eternal love towards his elect set in motion, the Father then demonstrated this love to the world when Jesus said in chapter 3, verse 16, he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But even more, this eternal love towards us, which was demonstrated for the world to see at the cross, is then made most blessedly intimate and experiential. When, as Paul says, the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So you see, it, it, was, it was the same divine love that was set upon us from all eternity that sent the Son to the cross on our behalf. But even more, it is this very eternal and sacrificial love that is in turn shed abroad in our hearts by the giving of both the abiding presence of God gift of faith itself. And it is because God has first loved us that we in turn are able to reciprocate this very love by first believing in Christ 
or as Jesus says in the next verse, and have believed that I came forth from God, I come forth from the Father, and, and have, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. So simply, what faith is to be in is in the totality of the mission of the Son. For he is true God of true God, who took on flesh and conquered both sin and death by his glorious death and resurrection. Then secondly, we also reciprocate this love by obeying Christ. Or as Jesus himself previously said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. And so, taking a step back, it is after our Lord has given this summary of his message to his disciples of what life will be like in him, or during the time of the ministry of God the Spirit, that they respond by saying, See now, you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Now, many commentators are split on the sincerity of the disciples' confession here. The, the main reason being is because right after these words, Jesus himself rebukes them by asserting, Do you now believe? But what I think our Lord is bringing out here is not the questioning of the sincerity or realness of their, the disciples' faith, but the slowness of it. For what I see here is a faith-seeking understanding. That is, they are seeking after the grace of assurance to accompany their faith. For in this moment, their faith may be weak from being under the assault by the afflictions which were to come. But yet even this type of faith, faith that is the size of a mustard seed, a faith that is weak and, and being challenged, this type of faith not only saves us, but it also overcomes the world. And it is those who possess this type of faith. And truthfully, all of us who believe, no matter how mature we think our faith may be, who must follow in the disciples' example by always praying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And why the disciples and even us must make this our constant prayer while living on this side of glory is because as Jesus proceeds to say, in the world you will have tribulation. Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. So you see, just like Christ had to face his hour of tribulation, so too must both the disciples and us face ours. And ultimately, why the disciples will for a moment fall away or stumble in their faith is because they put too much trust in the flesh. That is, their own strength, rather than the promises of God. Or as one commentator put it, we need not doubt the profession of the eleven was real and sincere. They honestly meant what they said, but they did not know themselves. 
They did not know what they were capable of doing under the pressure of the fear of man and of strong temptation. They had not rightly estimated the weakness of the flesh, the power of the devil, the feebleness of their own resolutions, the shallowness of their own faith. All this they had learned to learn by painful experience. Like young recruits, they had yet to learn that it is one thing to know the soldier's drill and wear the uniform, and quite another thing to be steadfast in the day of battle. But yet, beloved... Despite the disciples stumbling because of the weakness of their faith and not yet understanding how to live their lives in dependency upon the grace of Christ, a lesson the Apostle Paul had to learn. Just as the Father did not abandon Christ in His hour of agony, so too does Christ promise to us that He will never leave nor forsake us. Or said differently, Our Savior will not break a bruised reed, nor will he quench a smoking flax. But like the bride, as I say often, who made many excuses not to follow her bridegroom in Song of Songs, chapter 5, our beloved will draw us back unto himself so that our communion of love with him may be restored. And it is this very thing which we see Jesus, or we will see Jesus doing, with the Apostle Peter, when he will ask him, Do you love me? And Peter responds by saying, Lord, you know all things. You know my heart of hearts. You know that I love you. And so, after heaping promise upon promise and assurance upon assurance, that our risen and ascended Lord will persevere us in this life until the day when we will see him with our own eyes in glory. Jesus closes this discourse by giving to to us both an exhortation and a benediction when he declares, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So then, beloved, as we come to a close, we are yet reminded again that we are promised in this life that we will face trials and tribulations because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're promised this. However, where we are being exhorted to derive our peace from, a peace which will swallow up our tribulations and turn them into joy, is from the King of Peace Himself, Jesus. For He is exhorting us to find rest in the thought, better yet, the promise that He has fought our fight against sin and He has fought our fight against the uh, the world and the kingdom of darkness, and He has won. Thus, simply because Christ has overcome the world, so too have we already. And so, though we will suffer ailments in the flesh, though we will experience the pangs of death from the passing of loved ones, and though there will be times when our faith is assaulted by the world and by unbelief, beloved, 
we are those who know that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Therefore, cling to this hope and let it turn your sorrow into joy. For in doing so, your light will be a radiant witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are in the darkness. But if you are here this morning and do not have this hope nor this cheer which only Christ can give, Come to Him in faith for the peace which your soul so desperately yearns for cannot be found in the things and lusts and false securities of this world. But it can only be found in Jesus Christ. Therefore, let me leave you with Christ's most blessed promise when He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let us pray. Lord, yes, in this world, we do find tribulation. We find affliction after affliction, sorrow after sorrow. And it seems as if when we grow in our faith, yet our faith will then suddenly become under assault and and unbelief creeps in and we feel as if we have gone back to the beginning in a sense. As if our faith has been shaken. But yet, Lord, despite these things, despite these shakings, We have joy. We have peace. Because though we face these things as Christ faced them, well, because Christ has overcome the world, we have already come to overcome these things as well. For no matter how many afflictions come our way, no matter how many times our faith comes under assault, we are being told this morning, just as the apostles were being told by Christ Himself. Christ is telling us this morning that nothing can overcome our faith. For it is the Spirit who has indwelt us, it is the Spirit who has given us this gift of faith, and it is the Spirit who has given us all the promises of Jesus Christ. And because His death is our death, because His life is our life, so too do we now, in our humble estate, reign with Christ in victory. Let us cling to this this morning. Let us have this hope, knowing that one day these afflictions will be put away, the suffering will be gone, We will remember them no more, for in that day we will see the glories of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And God will be in all, and be all, and through all. In Christ's precious name we pray.